0: Welcome everybody, and good good evening, evening. and thank you for making it out in this little chilly bit of rain that we have. Uh, My name is Jessica Bino, and I'm the president of the College Alumni Association Uh, I want to welcome you on behalf of our board and the entire association. We're the sponsoring uh, entity for tonight and this is an annual event for us to have a panel discussion on an interesting kind of modern hot topic and we invite uh, professors, alumni and uh, other partners in the NYU community to be part of a panel discussion and, and to really discuss, you know, something that is interesting and urgent and current. Uh, and what could be more interesting current and urgent than hip-hop and, uh, and music culture? It's something that is throughout our, our daily life and, uh, and in the media and in the news and uh, a genre that actually has some really interesting roots and connections to New York University. So I want to introduce our panelists very quickly and then I'm going to turn it over to Sylvan, who's our, our moderator. Mm-hmm. So from, from my, far, my farthest side, closest in, we have Martha Diaz. Who's the founding director of Hip Hop Education Center? She's a community organizer, media producer, archivist, curator, social entrepreneur, and an adjunct professor here at NYU Gallatin. And as she expressed in the hallway before, she's a hip hop research queen. So we have the right person uh, here from the, the research angle, I feel. <laughs> <So laughs> to Martha's left, we have Franny Kelly, who's the editor at NPR Music. She's the co-host of NPR's Rap Interviews podcast, Microphone Check, with Ali Shaheed Muhammad, and she's also an editor of NPR's Hip-Hop and R&B coverage. So, welcome. Uh, <laughs> she's a graduate of Dallas, as well.
1: And she's also editor-in-chief you. of yours, truly. That's you. the new thing.
0: I have a new job. We're going to hear We also have uh, Jason, Jason Rodriguez, who's uh, also a graduate uh, from GSAS, Uh, Jason is the Editorial Director of Revolt TV, which is Sean Diddy Combs' new music network, where he oversees the EDM, Indie, and Hip Hop coverage online and contributes to social media and broadcast news coverage strategy there. So welcome Jason and our moderator uh, for this evening, which I'm so happy and thank you that we have a new moderator <laughs> this year because I've had to sit in that hot seat for the past four or ah, five years. That's how that. I got Thank you. Here. I thank did you. it now. Okay. And thank you for your time. And really, I want to recognize Sylvan, not only uh, for moderating, uh, but being such a great director of career services at NYU Journalism Institute and a great partner and friend to the College Alumni Association. Uh, she really partnered with us to, to make this panel a reality really thought um, strategically with us about great panelists. So thank you also for that. So thank you, Sylvan. And she'll be moderating, and she is a CIS alum alum alum. representing. I'm uh,
1: like a double NYU alum and an employee. So so I bleed
0: her And and an award-winning journalist. So the woman does it all. And with that, I will turn it over to her. And at the very close, I'll just be back on the mic very quickly to tell you about upcoming things happening through the College Alumni Association. So Sylvan, take it away.
1: Thank you so much. Jessica, you guys can all hear me, right? So I have to point out, I'm I'm also I'm an NYU journalism alum, and then I also did my master's here. But uh, Jason Rodriguez is one of our products. He's from the journalism graduate yes, school. Yes, Jason, what up? Yeah, and um, so you can see that if you go to NYU journalism, you can actually become a journalist and be successful. <laughs> um, so we're gonna pretty much everyone on this panel has uh, a lot of. Interesting background in media. So we're going to really focus in on kind of the intersections of hip-hop and media and just to start it off I'm going to open it with a very broad question Um, How has media changed hip-hop and I guess probably more Significant how do you think hip-hop has changed media? We're in a time where the roots are the backup band for the tonight show Empire is the number one rated uh, show on television So I think the, the it definitely goes both ways here, right? And uh, I'll start with, uh, she wants me to start with you, Jason. Of
2: oh, me? Uh, sure. Um, how has hip-hop changed media? I think, uh, you know, for me personally, working at Revolt, and we cover different genres, there's nothing that moves the needle like our hip-hop coverage. So, you know, something like um, Death Cat for Cutie will not move the needle as much as French Montana's mixtape album cover from his homie. You know what I mean, like, uh, so you know I I, I just think that it's such a hyperactive culture that you have this hyper consumption of it, and so it creates all these opportunities and these jobs where you know you have. Uh, Hot 97 competes against um, the, you know, a blog in, in the same regard for, for access and content. And, you know, some I'm sorry, guys. I'm not really off the clock, so I have my phone here. It's buzzing. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, in certain regards, it's it, it, it keeps you on your toes about what actually is content or media or things to to, to report on. So, you know, I think that's sort of how hip-hop has changed uh, media. How media has changed hip-hop, um, you know, I think social media has really changed hip-hop a lot in that, you know, that artists are controlling the situation and you see jay-z has life and times 50 i think 50 is the best example with this is 50 where he has his own entity that he covers his enemies um and and he'll interview them about beef with him and you know he he, he's created his own thing and and he wants to kind of be in charge of the narrative and you know and part of that is again hip-hop changing things because there's an entrepreneurial spirit to it um Mm -hmm. and so you know in in the world where there used to be the big three, you know, the big three is like a very common like TV thing where they say ABC, NBC, CBS. I, I think in our our media world there was the big three, which was the Source, Double XL, and Vibe, right. and you know that's sort of been that cast has been shattered and, and removed a long time ago. Um, so yeah, that a bit of a ramble tangent, but thoughts on kind of how it, 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 one another has influenced.
3: Mm-hmm. All right, Fran. I mean, I think what hip hop did was it demonstrated a market for niche coverage and also that there was an audience of younger people who wanted cultural coverage mixed with their political coverage and their mm. like hard news. Um, I think that hip hop showed that people were willing to spend money on a cultural product that was aware of the news. Um, I certainly at my job at, at NPR, like that's what we've been able to do is show that there are a ton of people with a in a really big uh, age range that want really different types of coverage of music. They want like the deep dive, they want the historical stuff, they do want the quick hit stuff. I kinda can't give it to them.
0: Sorry. <laughs> <I'm gonna laughs> go
3: by Jason. Um and in so doing, like we can attract advertisers and new and different advertisers that would never like even consider NPR. And then you have like a totally different base of support for your editorial operation and then a different audience that you can learn from. I think that then that might be how um, media is changing hip hop through social media like what you're saying is, you know, we get story ideas, we want to make a different kind of writing where people can interact with the music and we're less, a little bit less interested, I think, in criticism than in the conversation around a piece of work, yeah. a, a film, a, even like a, a storyline that goes through albums, um, that type of thing. And I, and I think that that's also enhanced by, like we were talking a little bit about the archival work that happens on the internet um, kind of just because, like it just happens. Um, you can find things easier. Um, not that people seek them out, <laughs> which is frustrating to me. But people do want like a guide. Um, so that's that's off topic. But, but I do think that we are able to make a like slow building, o- organically related, um, history of hip-hop because of media. And then that changes the coverage going forward and further demonstrates the market and the age range of that market.
1: Martha, since you um, are a hip-hop historian, can we take it back? Because we're talking like 30 years of change here. So what it was 30 oh, years ago? 40. Oh, it's yes. It's yes. It's yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I was gonna say I feel old, but now you made me feel even older. Yeah, pop, okay. pop
2: is great. Um, but
1: yeah. Uh, so so how do you think you've seen over the years, and not personally, but with your history and your research, um, the the little by little changes that have happened to what's going on in media now through hip hop, and vice versa.
4: Well, I think there's been some ebbs and flow here. Like, We have um, given voice to the voiceless, right? But at the same time, we've taken away that voice because then some of these moguls that we're not talking about um, have kind of monopolized the airwaves, right? And so we, um, we have that periodically throughout the 40 years of hip-hop history. But I think what we're seeing now is a new standard uh, because we're creating the platforms and we're owning the platforms. So we're not um, just saying, "Okay, you can cover me." We're 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 determining what you're going to cover, how you're going to cover it, and we're we're using it to give our messages. Sometimes with the community, sometimes without the community, and that's something that I think this is the 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 um the era in which we're kind of like figuring that out, our power. And once we get with the community, um, I think we will, we will see some serious results. And we're starting to see a new standard, right, when we do this. And that standard trickles all the way up to academia. And it trickles all the way up to the auction houses. And our value is increasing tremendously. And that's what we're really, um, that's the real power because now, you know, Basquiat, a painting, will go for $24 million. Um, 40 years ago, that wasn't the case. And so that's really the power that we, we can see with media and, and how we are transforming it.
1: You alluded to something I was going to point out in the next question, which is, um, and I'll also bring this to you, Franny, because uh, I wanted to talk about how media coverage has changed and the relationship between journalists and hip-hop artists has changed? Because one of the things we're seeing is that hip-hop moguls are becoming media empires. I, we have uh, Jason from Revolt TV, which was started by Puffy, or Sean Combs. And um, yeah, he's, he's not doing Puffy anymore, right? Is Diddy I, I, now? Well,
2: now that I work for him, I call him Mr. Combs. Oh, OK. Yeah. Yeah. No, Mr. That's, that's, that's the only name I know.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm
2: I'm, I'm not aware of that.
1: But artists back in the 90s were actually brawling with journalists. Like, there were some physical fights, and there was um, a a deep conflict there. So now, is it that the hip-hop artists are taking over as the media because of that conflict? Or is it that they have more respect for what the media is doing, and they want to get in on it? I guess that would be maybe worth asking. And then what have you seen in terms of the relationship between artists and media. I know you talked about what hip-hop artists want from journalists <coughs> and whether or not hip-hop journalists are, are really living I, up to it, yeah. or general assignment journalists mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Um, Franny, what do you think in terms of how um,
3: that relationship has evolved? And how are we doing now? Well, I work with a musician who is like an extremely mild man, mannered man who was once in a brawl with a journalist who I now work with, so <laughs> an evolution has happened. Um, I think that I wish that Ali was here because he could answer this much better than I could, you know, why he wants to do this now. I think that, you know, you know what, I know, he felt there was a gap, like I had I was at NPR and I had been talking to him. We met because I reported a story on the Tribe Called Quest documentary and we just stayed in touch. Sorry, back it up. We met because I messed up. We met because I misquoted an um, ODB lyric from the rap anthology. That rap anthology book, remember that? Mm-hmm. From Yale. From and Yale. Um, yeah, let's call out Yale here real quick. And um, <laughs> his girlfriend wrote me an email and was like, You messed up. This is wrong. And Ali is sitting right next to me, and he wants you to know. And I was like, "You're right. I already caught that." But, <laughs> but, um, if you ever want to do anything with NPR, here's my number. And it took us a while to figure out what exactly he could do best. And we thought it was about like playing music or talking about samples or recommending. And then we realized it was him talking to musicians and producers and execs. And and the reason that he does it is because people will speak to him differently and i think that that's the crux of it is is like who you are to me the the idea of interviewing somebody is fascinating um janet malcolm wrote a book the journalist and the murder that i recommend to everybody you know what i'm talking about um because it's an unequal exchange in like every aspect and the more you are aware of it the more painful it is um unless you are going into it Because you just want to have a conversation with somebody. And like your end goal is to bring things out of people that they might not even recognize are in themselves. And like weirdly, the best way to do that is to just shut up and listen to them, which is why my mild mannered friend turns out to be an amazing journalist. Um, So yeah, I, I mean, I think that like you were saying, like we are now able to sort of get into these big institutions, and they do, they do not know what we're doing, so they will let us do whatever we want. <laughs> that's the real secret, um, and just, that's it.
1: <laughs> you said yeah. also that there's, but there's still more that artists want from hip-hop journalists that they're not getting.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, oh, I've I made it a point to ask most of the journalists we talk to about journalism, and not just rap journalism, because we know um, that everybody listens to a lot of different things. And Earl sweatshirt is actually the best on this subject because he's such a reader. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I just want to read really good writing, and you guys are not giving it to me. And he's not, he really is talking about multi-genre music journalism. Um, and he also said recently in an interview with us that he wants to start his own magazine, hmm. which isn't, what if rap, what if Earl is the next rap mogul?
2: I was that.
1: Kali is supposed to be starting something, too.
2: That, that's not easy. I don't. I, that, yeah. that, I have a lot to say on this subject. I'm going to No, but but <laughs> I, I, you know, it's 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 an interesting, um, it is an interesting relationship, and I always think about uh, when you hear like old sports reporters and they talk about how, like like the old like curmudgeonly guy like the, like the the, the uh, caricature where he has like the uh, the cigar and he's like oh you know we used to write on a typewriter and. But, you know, like they'd say like, you know, them and the outfielder who played on whatever baseball team, they lived in the same neighborhood, they frequented the same bar, they traveled on the same plane. And so there was a report that they were able to develop and that's where you get these beautiful sort of uh, long form pieces that, you know, the idea is it doesn't exist today because there's not that access. And, you know, it, in, in ways there's, I, I think there's it's typically sort of an ebb and flow. Uh, like, you know, there was this, there was a rise of blog rappers and, 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 and the bloggers and they were kind of people who were aspiring and rising up together. And you see, uh, you know, I, I can't think of a good example, You know, you see like Big Sean has a relationship with Ill uh, because they, they, their relationship premeditated either one of them being successful. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there's uh, uh, um, some cohabitation in, in how they've achieved that together using each other. And so, you know, I think they have really good access. They've directed some of his music videos. And you see kind of how that's flourished. Um, at, the, at the same time, like Franny was saying in, in uh, Janet Malcolm's book, you do have that, you, you know, especially when you're a beat reporter and you interview somebody over and over and over again. And um, I, I remember interviewing Drake. I, there was a series, like a two-year block where I interviewed him maybe every two weeks for different different publications, different cities, and... and I remember one time like after an interview was over, he was like, "Man, you know a lot about me. tell me something about you and I was so taken aback because I was like i i like here I am, like I know his barber I, like, you know like i I know different friends of his and and and, and, and like I'm like uh, where do I begin I, I, I don't even know what I can like what one thing can I tell you to even out sort of this relationship where I don't doubt that it's sincere Mm -hmm. um but i it's just so uneven i know so much about him that i've reported and not reported Mm -hmm. um and and he knows very little of me rather than just our sort of our rapport and and he you know he thinks that i'm an honest reporter or 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 a writer uh and then you know conversely i think i'm just going to keep on referencing you and then conversely you know there's this idea of what the media wants and, and what rappers want from the media and what we need to do, mm-hmm. and so you know, for a long time, I worked at MTV News. My very first week at MTV News, I almost get into a fight with Method Man, and um, <laughs> it's not a secret because Hot 97 reported on it, and you know he he it was some preconceived thing that that predated my time at MTV, mm-hmm. and he had went through this album cycle where he decided he wanted to be a dick, right and he had gotten <laughs> bad reviews for Takao 2. Uh, I'm sorry, and we're recording this, but it gives time to edit it. So, (laughs) and he he put out to Cal too. He got bad uh, reviews, and uh, you know, even hip hop criticism is still very. uh, It's not all the way mature. Where sometimes you may criticize, in, in intending to criticize an album, you're criticizing the person and you're taking a swipe at the person where you know he's whack. And he may not be whack, he just wasn't s- as skillful <coughs> on this song or on this album as his previous effort. He may rebound and make another great album after that. You know, in the same way related to sports, you have a bad season, doesn't mean you're not going to come back and score 25. Maybe you had your contract on your mind. Maybe you you know, in and, and uh, uh, case, you know, it, it came out later. You know, he had a lot going on in his personal life with, with, with his wife and things of that nature. But he put out this album to Cal 2, uh... it got bad um, uh, reviews and so then he's coming into this next album cycle and he decides again to be a dick and you know unbeknownst to a lot of us with all this stuff going on in his life and also the way in which he's taking uh... this criticism of this album that had poorly uh... veiled swipes at him personally and so we go into this interview and it, you know for one it's at a press day it's at a press day for mtv vmas um. where um, you know, everybody, every artist <laughs> wants to be interviewed by MTV because it's for the VMAs. And so this is a very, you know, uh, wham, bam, thank you. Like, I just need this. I don't need your phone number. Right. Like, this is, you know, this is it. That, that, that kind of, <laughs> of date. And, um, you know, he, he, there, was, there was further things yeah, right. that he wanted to say. And I just wasn't in that uh, uh, moment to facilitate that. I, just, I needed a, a sound bite. And what he wanted was to provide something else and to begin the narrative of this new album and to get things going, and it just it wasn't that. And so he walks away, and he, you know, uh, fuck you, is what he says to me. You know, fuck you, walks away, and then, you know, he goes and does the rounds, and then when he's, by the rounds, I mean, it's a big, huge media interview, so he goes to Sirius, um, XXL, et cetera, et cetera, all these different places, and then afterwards, he makes it a point to come seek me out again, and he's like, Jason Rodriguez, you know fuck you and he's walking up these he's walking up these stairs so everybody everybody can hear it and you know it, it's it's you're trying to be uh, 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 pers- you know, professional, but at the same time, like I'm, I'm on some hip hop shit where I'm like, you're like, like fuck you. So, he's, he's, he's in, in that, so then he 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 says so. Tyrese is walking by, and, and mind you, I, I have no I have no relationship with the Method man, and I'm just telling this as 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 a, as a story to kind of provide evidence, not mm-hmm. you know, not to, to whatever. And so he, Tyrese comes up, and he's about to interview, and Method Man's like, yo, he's an asshole. And so Ty, you know, Method Man leaves. Uh, Tyrese has a new group that he's trying to introduce. Uh, you know, a typical thing that artists do with was it the TGT? interview. Uh, I can't even remember who it was. But but again, I, I don't. I didn't. Ha- it's not the moment. Like uh, I just like Nick Lachey is right there waiting to be interviewed next, and so it's like, and at that time, very poppin', very important to MTV. So I, I tell Tyrese, I'm like, you know what? Let me get your publisher's information. We should have them come and sit down. I don't know them that well. Give me a chance to listen to their music um and we'll schedule a better interview and you can get something better out of it and he's just like and, and i'm saying it like that this isn't me like reminiscing and saying like my brother like let's do this and making it sound like I, you know i was trying to be very sensible and he goes method man was right and he walks away so you know i'm using that to say like you know there's different things that that, that Artists want at different time, and for media, we're looking at it really clearly. Like this is uh, like a press day. Like it's not that type of sit down. They're looking at it like, oh, it's availability. Like, I, you know, I can yeah. do it. In the same way that like radio can be different, like live radio, um, and that's why I like the Breakfast Club or Power 106. Six, they have kind of different. It, it that's in the arena, and so you know that that's those interviews can kind of seem like jousting and and. Uh, um, you know, that can create sort of a different rapport with, and that's what people say, like, oh, I, you know, I like the, the Breakfast Club interview. So, what year
1: was this that you got in the fight with Method?
2: Verbal fight. Oh, man. <laughs>
1: okay.
2: Uh, what was this? 2007. Yeah, okay. My third day at MTV.
1: All right. So, like, yes. eight years ago. So, the conflict is still there. Because, I mean, we're going back to, like, the one story I know of was Wu Chen Clan getting in a fight with, I think it was Cheo.
2: Oh, Cheo, yeah. Yeah. Cheo Coker. He's a, a. And that was because a, a there was a bad review. Writer
1: from his publication, but he didn't actually write didn't the write review. It, yeah.
2: And he was doing a feature well, with them. So I think he was spending a significant time.
1: So there's still, pro- you think the resentment comes when there's a bad review. So then my next I mean, question is, yeah. is, for, I guess, Franny, I'll go to you next, and then maybe back to Jason. Um, I presume, tell me if I'm wrong, that you guys got into this because you're fans of hip hop music, correct? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how do you separate your your fan self from your obligations as a journalist and any, um, you know, needs for objectivity, which I know is subjective in actual um, most, most journalism.
0: Uh, uh,
3: yeah, I mean, it's not real. Like, it's not <laughs> real. And, and I don't know the best way to deal with the fact that no one's objective. Um, everybody, I mean, to get access, like there are different levels of things you, that you agree to, or like tacitly don't, you know, are like okay, fine, this one time or whatever. Um, and it's tricky at NPR. It's tricky with Ali because you know Ali is never never wants to dog anybody in public. Is hesitant to criticize anybody, and also feels even obligated to to help people, like emotionally as well as musically. Um, so I would not say that we're objective. Um, we've definitely had people on that one or the both of us like, doesn't like their music or doesn't <laughs> like them or whatever. And I don't, I'm not sure that you can tell. It's kind of not the point. Like, we're still talking to, to people. Mm. Um, I think that you know, in my new job at yours truly, it isn't live yet, so I can't show you an example, but we are trying to, make, to create a different model for more collaborative editorial work. Partly for the, the things that we've talked about, the ways that stories kind of get left behind because like we're in a rush, we got to make some type of deadline for some type of format that may or may not be relevant anymore, but our bosses don't know it. Right. Um, and so, it's you know we we talk to musicians, and we're like, what do you care about right now? What what are you sick of talking about? What has been misunderstood about you? What has been like overplayed? Then you start getting these weird conversations about like the narrative structure of the the release and, and like where they how they're trying to position. It. It's tough, I mean, because you have to keep the audience in mind at, at all times. Um, and then I just want to say one other thing, sort of back to what we were talking about earlier, how the interview thing, I think probably the elephant in the room is, like, who you are, what you look like. What you look like yeah. mm-hmm. matters a lot when you walk in that room. What I What happens when I walk in a room by myself and what happens when I walk in a room with Ali is, like, night and day. When I'm a girl talking to a girl is different from a girl talking to a cat. Like all of these things are like big and we deal with them quietly and loudly like all the time. And I'm sure that like that happens in historical and academic work too and how you like understand what happened and how you ask people about what happened and how you record it. Yeah. I, but,
2: I, I'm sorry. I enjoyed the... uh the Nas interview you guys did because uh, because of uh, Ali's sort of soothing thing, it put, it <laughs> yeah. put Nas at ease and he I got, got, it. got it, it's funny because to describe Nas as chatty is almost a joke but uh, <laughs> uh, because he's so subdued but that, that he was at Yo, ease. Yeah, we had to
3: cut out this whole section about Morocco, yeah, I don't yeah. even
2: yeah. Yeah. But, 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 it good, but you're absolutely right I, th- there was times where I could uh, I, I would joke about this with Sway, my colleague Sway. Uh, he could do, he could ask really bad questions and get a better interview than oh, I that can is if a, I real load up with great questions because there's there's that peer to so, peer. You know, similar to with with Ali.
3: Um, oh, I thought about you when you were tricking people into thinking you're dumber than you
2: are. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, now you're going <laughs> really bad. Yeah. No, I, I just meant, you know, he's he's he's. And they view him as a peer, and so if I he understand. things that they may be guarding or not want to open, you know, he can ask the most broad, vague question, and and he'll get uh, um, an anecdote. Yeah,
3: people just go. Where I
2: could I could be like, yo, you know this and this, and they'll just be like, word. So
4: <laughs> yeah.
2: I, you're I just, like, oh, I'm great. gonna
1: quote that right now. <laughs> question, but, but, question. Word.
4: But that. But that's. That's the issue. That is the root of the problem. And I think this is why so many um, artists have decided to create their own platforms. Because for a long time, there's been tension with media, with journalism, journalists specifically. Um, I hate journalists most of the time, <laughs> um, because they misquote you, oh. they are always rushing, and you know, uh-huh. for us, we're not prepared for this, we're community-oriented, <clears throat> hip-hop culture is about community, and so when you have journalists who want to soundbite, and don't explain, anything, they want a right. soundbite, they're like, wait a minute, you trying to diss me, hold up, I'm giving you some of my time, right, yeah. you better appreciate that, and so it's been tension for as long as I can remember. But I think the bad journalism is really what um, is problematic because now I have my students comparing uh, features in different mm. art magazines, and we're finding errors. Right? Uh, yeah. And so you have people who are not from the community reporting. They're making mistakes. Right? And then historically, they are confusing people. And if you're trying to write a thesis about hip-hop culture and you're using using secondary material, this is, you know, it's it's a problem. And so that's why we're trying to take over our own stories. We're creating our own space so that we can have the the accuracy for our legacy. So
1: you're seeing issues specifically within mainstream media's coverage of hip-hop compared to... Hip hop media is kind of hip
2: hop. I'm going to just be explicit with my language. Hip hop fucks up, too, though. Yes. Like, like hip hop media fucks up, and they're inaccurate. And Mm -hmm. and, and they do the mistakes things, too. I I just think that I don't know how you avoid that tension and sort of the the interface of writer to interviewer. Because you, you, I may sit here and look at myself and say, I'm kind. I'm this, and, and, and people like me. You're like, we're the SNL <laughs> You're like, yeah. talking into the mirror. Yeah, but, but you know, somebody may look out and say, like, this guy's an asshole. Like, why does he keep cursing? Why does he keep doing that? And so, guys, but, but that's what it's like to be interviewed, where it's like, I, it's, it's, I remember being here at NYU, and a, 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 we had this guest journalist, I forget. He wrote for The New York Times uh, Magazine. Stroke
1: land. And he, um,
2: he wrote this really great story on Amari Stoudemire before he came to New York. Mm. He was with Phoenix and he you know he said the story is not it's not amari stardomar's story it's my story it's its how i view his circumstances and the context of this story it's it's my lens that i'm writing this through and um, you know it, 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 he's a bit more of an arrogant journalist but he delivers and it, you know it was, it was a really good story and so you know sometimes it's that conflict like who is writing this whose story is this and and yeah. you know when when i when I do an interview versus when I do like a bio for for a label, like I, that's a completely different interaction, and I'm just like, you know, you can tell me whatever you want, and and you could say afterwards what's off the record, because I'm just trying to get the best of, mm-hmm. uh, uh, for this bio, because it's a certain thing that they want, and it's a different type of transaction. Whereas I'm writing a magazine story, I'm i you know, it's like I have my journalism cap is on, and it's. Uh, it's not necessarily as collaborative. There, there is some collaboration in it, but it really is how I see the story and. Furthermore, once it escapes my hands, it's how the magazine or whatever outlet I'm writing it for, how they see it. Right, um, and you so have it's, to write
1: in different voice for different so, publications. Yeah, and so it's
2: filtered through all that, which doesn't help with right. the tension. Um, well,
4: we have, and good, we have good journalists, too, right? Yeah, we absolutely. We have Harry Allen, and we can go back. We got you know, Brett
2: Johnson here in the yes, house.
4: Yes, right. yes, you, know, you know, we could go back to Greg Tate, and all of them, but they all develop the relationship, right, with the community, and a long-term relationship. And so I think that. Those, that's what's missing. But if we remove magazines and talk about filmmaking for a second, right? We can also see that trend. First, we had the 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 the, the filmmaker like Charlie Ahern and Henry Schaffan who weren't from the community, who were documenting the scene in the Bronx. And then you have journalists trying to document the scene and they, they give their opinion of, of what they're seeing, right? Mm. And now artists are saying, No, wait a minute, I'm gonna take my camera, I'm gonna tell you how it is. And so that is really the different ways of reporting and documenting, and that's where the tension lies. That's kinda of like
1: ethnography versus autoethnography, yes. which yeah. you know autoethnography has its own biases, so yes. but ethnography does too, but it's it gives people a different perspective. Yes. And from within, you can't. there's certain things you can't even see because you're so in it, you don't know, right? So would you say that it, we're better off if media is more specified and that the people who are covering <coughs> hip-hop are only the people who are within hip-hop journalism, or can mainstream media do it and do it well too?
2: I, I mean, I think but I, I'm, I'm being like be super shatty, I mean, you I, can't I, think, I can't not. I, I think there's this blogger. Uh, his name is Brian Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, people call him "Beat Up" from Rap Radar. And so last year he went on this uh, crusade. Is probably too strong of a word, but he, you know, he was frustrated at uh, sort of uh, pitchfork and, and mm-hmm. this mainstream um, view of hip hop, particularly how they would judge, say, like a Keith, Chief Keith album, which is like very masochistic, uh, a, a violent album. Uh, how they could give that sort of an eight, but give Nas' album, who we all view as a poet, give that like a six. And, and you know, it's baffling how, how he, you know, that was just baffling to him. And so he went on this crusade, he, he amassed his, his social media following, he got other people in it. And I, I think there was some merit to his argument, he just wasn't um, necessarily articulating it uh, uh, specifically well, in that you know, he kept on saying cultural tourism. Mm. Uh, these are cultural tourists who are, who, who are covering hip hop and doing that, mm. and uh, you know, so he went on this podcast with John Carriamonic on the Times, and John was saying, well, you know, I think that there's this uh uh, uh um there's a subject in hip hop that sometimes the hip hop media is overlooking themselves, and so they're looking at it as outsiders, outsiders like there's a disproportionate amount of coverage on these artists, but not these artists. And so Chief Keith, for example, uh, in a lot of ways, Gawker did like the, the, the main story to kind of uh, put him on uh, the map, and you didn't get that from say Double XL or any place else. And so, I, you know, I think that's fine that it, that it comes out that way. What bothers me is that, um, you know, if a label puts out a press release and they're saying like, you know, this heralded album and um, by Big Sean. Pitchfork calls it this, USA Today says it's this, New York Times says it's that, and it's fine. These are great institutions and, and, and there's noteworthy in being recognized for that. But I also think that there should sort of be some native recognition where you also include, because there's a different distinction of XXL calling the album good versus USA Today calling the album good. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that was kind of lost in, in, in what BDAT was trying to say. And so even recently, uh, Clover Hope, who's another NYU alum, she's a staff writer over at Jezebel. She did this review on Kendrick Lamar's album. And why I I, I loved it for a number of reasons, Mm -hmm. because she very uh, infrequently talked about the music. Mm. Um, She talked about this album being uh, um, an inherently black album and how it made her feel very black. And she didn't know what to make of that. And it was almost an essay where she was kind of weighing what this album made her feel. And, but, you know, but that's what it's like to be a part of the community listening to this album because you're thinking about more than just the snare or, or how he wrote this verse okay. or, or, or what this bridge comes like, you know, that you can't separate the music from um, just the native black experience, which it's born from because uh, it's, it's black culture. And so, you know, Pitchfork may review it this way, and I think that's very valid and just. Um, but I also, I love that the black girl wrote about how this album made her feel black and she got ahead of everybody else. And in ways, I felt like that was missing for a really long time. And, and you know, it's like Franny, again, I'm just all day I'm just gonna keep on referring to you. <laughs> um, I, I like how she said, like, you know, we we're, we're, we get inside these buildings, they don't know what to do with us, so we get to do whatever we want. <laughs> and so I like, you know, Clover worked at Double XL, she worked at Vibe, she's very distinctly us. And now she's over in Galkert Media. Right. And it's like you know, Jezebel was not known as a place that would do this, and she, to me, she smoked everybody in terms of review. And again, she's not really talking about the music, but it's it's much deeper for us than the music anyway. So for me, like that, that was just fascinating. And I I think that we, by us in hip hop media, and it's hard to be objective because it very much is a we right. type of thing. We don't necessarily have that on a regular basis as much. And part of that is form and and and, and it's about
3: audience, like yeah. yeah like everything comes back to money right okay so pitchfork does what it does because it has the audience it does and because of that audience it has those advertisers mm-hmm. like sometimes there's crossover sponsorship advertiser wise but like there kind of isn't like i was looking at what world star and what advertises on world start movies like it's all the next movie mm-hmm. and like some liquor or whatever but um mm-hmm. yeah um but what's, what's your audience and, and the adverti- oh, Well, you don't have to have ads, but I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't talk about <laughs> the first person who direct bought an ad on Microphone Check. But it's like unbelievably fitting and hilarious. And when it happens, I will tell everybody. <laughs> um, but um, we don't have one because we don't have a big enough audience. What advertises on NPR is, um, you know, it's like it's like Lexus, and we had PAPs for a long time, and sorry. Table. Um, and Emphasis, though. he is bad for the microphone. Though, the <laughs> the um, and I, I mean, it's it's about white audience and not white audience. Like it's so simple. Like, mm. um, and then it becomes a question of how are we talking about this album and what role is respectability politics playing in this if we are, like. Black content creators making stuff for a white audience or for a young audience as compared to older audience and you know I don't know I think any question that you have is like who's getting paid that's it so um, oh I was
2: shouting out Tim no I was just saying Mm -hmm. hi to Tim Um,
3: Tim Tim is Tim Hotepaku is here Tim Hotepaku starts at NPR on Monday
2: oh Oh, word congrats Tim
4: why didn't you text me
1: So um, okay. So what I wanted to say, you guys were just talking about kind of this mainstream versus hip hop specialist. Like, do you? I know this is kind of goes into the the concept of ownership within hip hop, which is kind of the conflict that has existed since hip hop was born. But it, there, it's beyond that right now, right? I mean, hip hop is global; it's everywhere. Mainstream media is covering it, and do we? have an issue with that I mean do I mean the, the exposure is also gives people a window into worlds they might not otherwise know if mainstream media isn't covering it right but then you have situations where um, like my colleague uh, Craig Barbosa did this article which appeared in GQ it was on the 20th anniversary of Bad Boy and he shot that. this story yes yeah, oral history. And he shopped it around to a few different publications, but um, GQ went with it. And there were some comments in the comment thread that were like, "Oh, this is the Gentleman's Magazine. Why are they covering girl?" Uh, you know? Look at an NPR comment section. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, what do you guys think that it needs to come back home, or is what can we do to improve coverage within mainstream media?
2: I, I you know this is so just so Eric Deep is over here he he's he's can I call you a protege? <laughs> can I call I can call you a protege, right? He, he he's a he's a he's a great uh young writer. Also Max Weinstein over here is a great young writer. And so uh when this came out Eric and I were we talking about this. I, I remember he emailed me. I forgot to email him back, but I had thoughts. And so he he you know I so you know it,
3: you're a protege.
0: <laughs> yeah. So
2: he you know, he talked about this and this idea. He used to work at Double XL, and this idea, like, why wasn't this in Double XL? And I commented, like, why wasn't it on Revolt TV? <laughs> you know, um, it's because it's, it's, you know, Puff owns uh, both, and this is his story. But uh, you know, it's there's the audience in, w- in which it goes to, and sort of, uh, you know, in 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 a lot of ways, like this story of Bad Boy is kind of common. To double XL or vibe, and Commonology, maybe, maybe yeah, maybe common yeah. knowledge, and maybe they might not have treated right. it with the same sort of artifact type of endeavor that GQ. And, and, and you know, in some ways, that outsider type of thing co- leads to errors. But then also, it they'll ask the question that we may appear to be. I mean, common. Craig's not an outsider. No, I don't think Craig, but but it's ultimately it's the editor who's helping who's working right. with Craig on on, on the story. Yeah. I didn't mean to take anything away from Craig, um, with that. But uh, you know, there's a great quote in here where Chao Coker. Um, talks about uh, what Puff did with music and sort of him putting R&B to hip-hop beats. It seems so common now but it, he also said this the idea like peanut butter and jelly sandwich is so common but the first person who thought about it it's like wow you you made the peanut butter and jelly sandwich and so like that but that's what it's like like with puff like oh you know all it was was a singer singing to rap beats and yeah. it's it but it's taking so a step back
1: and looking at how did we make yeah, that first yeah and, 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 butter and jelly you know sandwich, and, and, right? and
2: for us like that's like we know that like we know our left hand so <laughs> you know maybe we might not have got that quote um, from Chao, um, and, and because Chao used to work at our outlets, we might have asked Chao about his writing, and it just would have been a different story, and, and you know, it, it, I, I'm not saying this for a good reason or a bad thing, that's just, and that's very much why that's a GQ story. GQ did this fantastic Rick Ross story where um, they like, had so much access, and like Rick Ross, uh, he literally is like there with the guy being interviewed, he leaves while he's with him, goes in the next room and has sex with his girl. Is that when Jordan
3: it, fell in the pool? Yeah.
2: <laughs> comes, comes back and, like, winks at the writer. And, like, that that's, that's a passage in the story. And, you know, it's very crass, and I don't mean to say, like, oh, I wish we had that. But, you know, when, 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 when I did a double XO cover, I did a cover story on Rick Ross, and I flew down to Miami, was in his house, sitting on his couch watching baseball with his homeboy for, like, two hours. Um, and, and, and the most sort of, like detail I got was every time they went to the kitchen and opened it up and I'm like oh this is kind of this is what kind of cereal Rick Ross has in, in his cupboard and because you know you're just fishing you're trying to find detail to figure out what type of story you're going to tell like is that going to be a telling detail <laughs> somewhere it ultimately didn't become that but Ross came so late and I just we went to his back studio and I sat and I talked with him for like an hour and a half it was essentially a Q&A. Mm-hmm. and a the, and the, the most detail I had was his lighter flickering every so often because he was smoking during the interview and so in my piece the only color that I could really add was you know in between questions like as he answered flicking his lighter or whatever and you know it just turned into a face to face Q&A and you know that's the access that XXL got because they look at it like oh I'll always get double XL, you know in a way it's they're taking it for granted, whereas like with G q it's like, yeah. oh you're noticing me, this is different like let me let me put my hair up today or let me do that and so then they get that type of access and and those types of stories, and you know that and that's a challenge uh, and this is me speaking as an editor, not necessarily a writer, but you know this is a challenge that I would have as an editor trying to compete and say, you know how do I get that same story um, with less type of access and and you know that that some ways like some like internal really like a, a, a micro type of thing, that's the challenge. But, you know, on the outside, you get this great story that Craig was able to do for GQ.
4: I have a question. Did you go to revolt with your story?
0: No. Originally, I had it. And they had a
4: turnover at the top, so they, um, they
2: weren't sure about the story that you know, I had already done all these interviews for the story. And then they wanted to limit it to, I think it was like two pages. And I'd already done like
0: 20 interviews. And I ended up doing like 45. Um, I mean, it's like you know, a book. But um, so they weren't willing to give it the space that it needed either. So I wasn't
4: happy. I, have, I wasn't happy with that. So I took
0: it to GQ. Good for you.
4: Well, um, I, I agree with you. It could have been um, on the as well. Um, I think there needs to be a balance, right? I think for a long time, American media has has marginalized hip-hop and has given us verbs and it's grown into, you know, our own, again, platforms and magazines. And I think it's good for GQ. You know, I think it's good for New York Times and The Nation and all these (coughs) magazines and newspapers to cover hip-hop because hip-hop is American culture. Mm -hmm. And again, the more we read about it, the more we learn about it, we understand it, and we value it. And so that's why I think there needs to be a balance. But I also think, one of the things, issues that I also want to bring up with the whole journalist <laughs> field is the whole um, clique, right? There's only a certain group of journalists that cover mm-hmm. the same people. And we have more than just the moguls. We have behind the scenes people that are, um, you know, researchers and and filmmakers and painters and b-boys and b-girls and and i think the whole culture is not being covered and that's problematic and so not only do we need a balance of coverage but we need more hip-hop members to be covered and that's uh you know something that i love npr because i think you're expanding and and allowing for new voices. Mm. Well, I think that's real. I think it's because of money. I think
3: that, um,
0: back
3: to yeah, I mean, again, we're just sort of getting away with it because we don't actually have traffic goals. And like, that's why people do what they do is because certain things move units. Right. Um, I have a question for you. So media moguls have like these, these entities, these media companies, sorry, hip hop moguls have these media companies. Are they, do they no longer count as being from the community? Or is their staff not enough?
4: No, they, wait, are you saying, what's the question that? uh, So, so you're saying that like, hip hop moguls moguls, no longer from the community?
3: Well, like a lot of the hip hop media, Mm
2: -hmm.
3: like is now supported by moguls, but we're also kind of saying that that stuff isn't coming out of the community, it isn't in touch with the community, it's like making money off the backs of the community. But the people, the public faces of those companies at the very
4: least like are technically from the community. So what do we what do? We do? Well, I think once we recognize our power, and that's how I started the Mm -hmm. conversation, right? Once we recognize our power and we begin to have a dialogue around power and what we can do to change the trajectory, to change the image, to change the narrative, then other people will join in the conversation. And I think, for example, Jay-Z and Will Smith um, they supported Free Angela Davis. They actually invested money in that documentary. Mm. When we start to see that happen, which we are—I mean—they also um, supported the Fela um, musical, yeah. and there are plenty of examples of how some of these moguls are really starting to understand their power. Even, even you know, Nas with Mass Appeal—he und- you know he kind of yeah. gave life again to a magazine that was grassroots. You know, and so I think that is where we're headed. And I think when we have collaborations um, with entities that typically won't cover hip hop or won't partner up with hip hop, then the value again increases. And it isn't so much about value, about dollars, but it's the traffic of audiences. And when you look at Tanning, The Tanning of America, right, which is another book that. Is problematic and questionable because yes, we're tanning America, but what have we lost? Right? And we're uh, not talking about that in the book. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I gave a jingle to a hip hop jingle to McDonald's or whatever." It's like <laughs> you're selling us out, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. We we can't do that anymore. And once we wake up and we realize our power, it begins to change.
1: Okay, so I think we are gonna need to hit the race thing real quick. Not that quick, but um, when I interviewed um, LL Cool J, he said one of the things he said to me was he thought hip hop brought the races together. I thought that was a good quote. I want to know if you guys agree, and has media helped or hurt race relations in its its coverage of hip hop?
3: How much time you got? I know, yeah, 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 I know. Yeah. It's,
2: uh, no, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny to use LL uh, as an example because of the debacle that he was involved in with the, uh, the country. Uh, Brad Paisley. Yeah, Brad Paisley uh, song. Um, yeah, no, you know, it, it uh, Danielle Smith, uh, another famous uh, 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 music writer, she is doing a project now uh, called Hardcover where she talks about the, the multi-stream instead of the mainstream. And, you know, and that's. Uh, to be in New York, if we if we talk about like the tapestry of New York, uh, the David Dinkins, uh, the famous quote, and you know, and that, you know that's a very real thing, and that creates like the tanning of America, um, but I, you know, I I I think I mean music is it's I don't want to say music is just music, because uh, obviously there's there's very there's a lot of redeeming quality and and, and powerful uh, messages and symbolic things, and and you know because of my love for hip hop, I got a master's right, like I, I powered through my education, always concentrating on hip hop. And and you know the things that I do now are no different than the things I do when I was sixteen. I listened to an obsessive amount of hip hop and I bought Jordans. And, <laughs> um, but but you know on 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 the other end of the spectrum, like I you know I don't necessarily think that there's. It's good when uh, you have somebody like quali who's articulate and he's very poignant, and, and some of his music reflects that and has that messaging. Who also but, went to NYU. He also went to NYU, but I don't I don't think that a rapper is obligated to. Kind of help solve r- racial relations problems, and, and and you know in the same regard that a lawyer is not obligated to only defend innocent people, um, and so you know with that said like yes there's some uniting where it's it's you're at a concert and, and, and I'm the Puerto Rican kid there's the white girl there's the black guy and we're all there and it's like yeah look at this this is this is rich. Um, <laughs> but you know, like it's like it's like Franny saying, well, because again, I just keep referencing you. Um, oh my! <laughs> um, I'm hoping to, to create an act and take this on the road. Okay. Um, but you know, but you, you look at the comment sections and you see stuff that's very uh, uh, vile, and you look and it's like, well, that's that's not progress. That, that's clearly not progress, and you know, you see those things a lot. And especially if like you're an editor of a site and like you moderate the comments, and so like you, you see the stuff that doesn't. Well, the comments made. bring out the worst in
1: everybody. Yeah, and you know, and, the, and and the cesspool of racism. Yeah, and, 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 right, and, and, and
2: you know, some of it is like the, the, the troll phenomenon, what it means mm-hmm. to be uh, uh, um, anonymous and leaving these comments. Um, and you know, that's super broad, and that could be another discussion we would go on for, for <laughs> a, a lot of hours. But yeah, you know, I I say it's 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 an ingredient. Um, just as much as generational change is an ingredient and and you know kids who are go to NYU now who are 19 mm-hmm. the, you know the, they they grew up in a world that's very different than I did and I'm only 35 which is different than somebody else who's who's 50 so you know I think hip-hop is an ingredient of that with generational change um, you know, certainly there's going to be so many books on the, the, the Obama effect, but you know, I, I don't I don't as, as powerful as hip hop is. You know, it's it's an ingredient of that change. I don't necessarily want to put it all on its um its its its, its doorstep because uh, then that just creates a different set of expectations. But uh, uh, Martha,
4: do you yeah. give it credit? I mean, I think hip hop allowed for us to have a dialogue with different races, right? It it. It offered a, a bird's view into the hood, and you know, all of a sudden, white people understood. Like, oh shit, they're going through some issues. They're, it's not equal, you know. The, and so, I think it, uh, it helped with race relations in that sense that it created some sort of empathy and um, awareness. Um, but as um jason was saying it it, with every generation it changes Mm -hmm. and so i think um what what media has done to um and I, i guess you know it's not so much media i mean there's a lot of people culpable here i mean the record labels the television and radio stations i mean hot 97 got caught. With the whole payola, I mean, there there wasn't a conspiracy, but there was certainly corruption right. when it comes to coverage and who was selected to represent hip hop. So I think, you know, stereotypes were created. Although hip hop again provided access to a world, and um, and it inspired, right? Because ultimately, hip hop to me, it is a hope. It's it's spirit. It's hope and spirit. And so it is for everyone. That's why it is global. That's why you can find the kids in in Palestine or in Brazil, wherever. They love it because they've been, they've been, um, you know, uh, they got the Holy Ghost in them because of hip-hop. But when you juxtapose that positive optimism, you know, hope with gangster rap and whatever you know, negativity. There, there, you know. There's confusion, and I'm not saying that hip hop is all beautiful and you know and, and good because we needed some uh, struggle and some some really d- a dark side to come out in order for us to see the light, right? Um, but again, it was at one point really just one-sided. And I think that a lot of the artists got fed up. And when we see what's happening with the police and the stereotypes of like sagging pants, okay, so because someone is wearing sagging pants and a baseball cap or hoodie, that makes them, it makes it all right for us to target people. It's all connected, right? Everything is connected. So whatever the media is covering is really reflective of our our own um, biases, and then we respond to that
3: I think that 's one hundred percent true, having been in you know my own newsroom and other people's like the media like people just say what they think they say they 're objective and they don mm-hmm. 't they 're not they are like making telling stories that are how they see the world, which is why you have to change the newsroom to do anything um, I think that I think that the, like I think the time you're talking about, like when Gangsta Rap was really like obvious and promoted and in like mid nineties, like ninety three, ninety four, and it, like there was a lot of other music happening at the same yeah. time. And it was because it, because the labels were making so much money off Gangsta Rap that suddenly people were like, I don't know, try it. Like go ahead. wu jang <laughs> plan and like you so you kinda can't that to me still happens. That like sometimes something terrible makes enough money that something else just like in. Um, I, I think that, like, this conversation, like, talking about hip hop with people who don't listen to hip hop is the worst circumstance you can ever <laughs> find yourself in. Yeah. Like, just don't do it. Nobody wins, nobody learns anything. Um, <laughs> However, that's like, what I get paid to do. So, <laughs> and like, honestly, at the end of the day, if you're going to work at a mainstream publication, like, we're all doing that. And that's what we're all doing on Twitter. You're talking to strangers, right? Um, and at the end of the day, and I, I have outcasts in mind when I say this, if you can find a way to listen to hip-hop, hip-hop will make you a better person. But... For some reason, well, for pretty obvious reasons, like people, some people struggle with being able to hear hip hop, being able to hear the words, being able to hear like what went into the music, mm-hmm. what what happened while the music was being made, um, and really like feeling their own reaction to the music. Um, hip hop is there for you. Outcasts will make you will help you with like all of your problems. Like they are like, I would like you to eat healthier. Mick Jenkins Didn't, is like, yeah. I would like you to drink more water. Like, I'm sorry.
2: Didn't you do a piece where you uh, listen to hip hop with your mom?
3: Huh, that's funny. I've never published that piece. I, um, my mom a few years ago told me was like, why do you like hip hop so much? I don't know what you're, what they're talking about. And I very quickly found out she just has hearing problems yeah. <laughs> um, from <laughs> listening to rock music, like really loud when she was a kid. And so I put her through her paces, and I gave her ilmatic and um, uh, low end theory, and I didn't really, I didn't really think it through re ilmatic. Um, but what happened was once she got the lyric sheets, and she was like walking the dog with these albums on in her headphones, and in the car with my dad, like driving up here to see my brother and stuff. Um, she, couldn't be- she couldn't believe she couldn't believe that dropped out of high school. Yes. Okay, so I told this. I told Nas this story. That's right,
2: and I knew I got. I heard it. Yeah, 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 totally.
3: And she was like, "He's a genius. He's a genius." And I, I think that that is what I hope, and I, I do hope, and I do think that that is what like white kids everywhere can get from hip hop. It's not like oh, like this is reporting. This is like what is actually happening. It's like that's fucking genius. And you know what? I interviewed somebody named Bettina Love, who is um, she's going to be at Harvard very soon. And she's uh, from Atlanta. She's from Atlanta. Yeah, she's a teacher from Atlanta. She lives in Atlanta. She's a teacher there. And she said that the best way to make sure somebody doesn't kill you is to convince them. That's not what she said. She said (laughs) the best way, um, (laughs) if we can recognize the genius in black youth, then we will not gun them down in the street.
2: Wow. Yes. Very bad. Say that again.
3: If we can recognize the genius in black youth, then we will not gun them down in the street. And that's Bettina Love. And if you guys are tweeting this stuff, some other good quotes that
1: just came out. Um, Martha said, it helped uh, hip hop, helped with race relations, and that it brought empathy and awareness, and that what hip hop is to her, so she said, what hip hop is to me, is hope and spirit. And Franny said, talking to people, uh, oh no, this one's good hip-hop will make you a better person,
2: yeah. and she went on to
1: say hip-hop will help you with all of your problems. <laughs> there you go.
2: It's, it's to, to, to her point, I, I think it's amazing when cause you'll, you'll, sometimes when you interview artists, they, you want to have this experience of them talking about their music that you may not necessarily get because they've discussed it in their songs, and you want them to be articulate in a way about a record Um, which in in some ways they can't because they gave you everything on that record. And so like you, you like, you know, Kendrick Lamar, everybody's been writing so much about his album and like he has this record called Mortal Man and, you know, there's a lot to unpack on that record. But my particular favorite instance um, on the record is he, the way he builds up to this last line on the record where he says, uh, he's saying, you know, Michael Jackson gave us Billie Jean. Do you really think he touched those kids? and you know he he built up this, this this narrative about sort of his own experience being a black genius and and, and what it means and, you know he kind of like like dripping it through sort of like the church experience and what it means to kind of be the person who's delivering the gospel and by the time that line landed, it was so powerful. You know, just reading it, it, it may not be the same as when you, when you listen to verse by verse and how each chorus, there's more emphasis in what he's saying. And so when he really says that line, it's, it's a really powerful line. And I, I, I tweeted, I just can't understand how people cannot listen to a song like that and say that hip-hop is just noise or mm. it's <laughs> trash and, and, you know, there's such a beauty to it. Um, and you know, and conversely it, it media there 's no interview that I could do there 's no story that I can write there's nothing that I can do to convey that brilliance as much as he just said it, and we could talk about it, and I could say, you know the way you did that, and he may just say word and, <laughs> and, 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 but you know that and, and you know th- those are the moments where you know, we say like we we're we're just I am a fan and I can't get in the way of that. I I am a fan. I find poetry in this music. It's it's very spiritual, um, and there's a spirit that is created. And the fact that I can say that on Twitter and a kid in um, somewhere in Asia can like retweet it because mm-hmm. he feels mm-hmm. the same way. Like you know that those are things that are amazing. And, and you know when you when you look at somebody. And again like not, not that I'm, I'm i'm super old and i don't want to say like i'm a gray fox or, or or anything like that but you know i <laughs> okay. I, I i but I, you know i remember silver the fox. moment silver fox sorry <laughs> um I, I i remember ha- having to like I'm, I'm from delaware i remember driving up to new york specifically to get mixtapes mm-hmm. um, because they, and you know and that that's that was sort of like the scavenger hunt of finding this music and we had this conversation before this panel started with how there's just so much information now, and people still aren't doing the effort to get it when it's readily available by just clicking or on your phone. Where it's like, I'm sitting here like, all right, I'm gonna drive. I'm gonna borrow my mom's car. I'm gonna drive to New York. Just go to Canal Street, pick up a bunch of mix and come back. And it's like, that is ridiculous. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's it's just it's just it's just a powerful experience. And and you know, I I don't know what media can 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 do with that, but but on the same time, like that inspires. Us and that's where you get like a lot of these like think pieces and, and critical pieces and you know there's sometimes I'm over think pieces they're really just you know uh, uh, it's this idea of like you care what I have to say and, and it's, it, that's another different media conversation but uh, um, I, I'm I'm running to uh, I'm really getting on a run off sentence and not delivering a point here but. Um, I, you know it's it's in those moments I wish there was more voices that would point to like that genius and not just say like mm-hmm. oh it's not a classic like though, or like yeah you know <laughs> like we're so quick to like say like oh it's a classic or it's great it's this and sometimes you don't have that like unpacking where it's just like it, it, that's an album that deserves a fine comb to kind of go through it and we, we sometimes there's just not those media homes anymore that exist